I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to Comms Day Live. Um, we're going to be chatting with Simon Ducks, the chief editor of Comms Day, a little later in the show about some of the top stories of the week. But first up, it was the Telstra AGM this week. Now, we don't, we don't usually religiously cover AGMs, but this is this was an interesting one because, of course, it was quite a milestone for Telstra. It was the AGM where they took the boat um, on spinning off various bits of the company into new entities. You know, for example, Infraco Fixed, um, Amplitel, the tower company, and Telstra International. Of course, this is the, the harping of a, a new era um, for Telstra where they hope they can, uh, I guess, liberate some value um, uh, by, by these spin-offs and, and, and get more relevant valuations and get new shareholders and, and the, the ability to generate new capital. So um, I thought, since this is a big milestone, it's the biggest thing to happen to Telstra in, in years, um, in terms of its structure, let's have a listen to what Chairman John Mullen had to say about the merits of the spin-off and restructure. The corporate restructure was a key component of our T22 strategy and is also a key component of our T25 strategy announced last year. That's an important next step in our drive to increase the transparency of our infrastructure assets and to improve management focus on our infrastructure and customer businesses. And consequently, it provides us with more flexibility to create additional value for you, our shareholders. It also recognises that the world has changed significantly on the back of the pandemic. This is expected to accelerate digitization in the home, the workplace, and economies more broadly, and reinforces the importance and value of the telecommunications infrastructure and connectivity that enables digitization. Delivering on our strategy, including the investments we've made in digitization and networks, together with the benefits that will flow from the restructure, positions as well to capitalize on these changes. The restructure involves the establishment of the Telstra Group Limited as the head entity of the Telstra Group, and the movement of entities, assets and liabilities within the Telstra Group. It is an internal legal reorganisation only and will not in itself result in any immediate change to the underlying assets or business activities of the Telstra Group. It will provide us with more options and potential to realise additional value for Telstra shareholders from our infrastructure assets. And importantly, if the scheme is approved, there will be no change to the level of your shareholding and you will receive one Telstra Group Limited share for each of your existing Telstra shares, unless you are an ineligible foreign shareholder. Telstra Group Limited shares will have the same dividend and voting rights as Telstra shares. As you would have seen in the scheme booklet, the independent expert that assessed the scheme, Grant Samuel, concluded that the scheme is in the best interest of Telstra's shareholders. Telstra directors will all be voting their share, Telstra shares in favour of the scheme and unanimously recommend you do the same. This recommendation is based on our detailed assessment of the potential advantages and disadvantages of the scheme set out in the scheme booklet you would have received. I'll briefly uh, summarise those advantages and disadvantages now. In, firstly, increased transparency uh, of the assets of our customer and infrastructure businesses allowing management to drive performance and efficiencies, while also providing a clearer picture for shareholders and potential investors to value the business. Increased focus on our customer infrastructure businesses through separate management teams with business-specific strategies supported by dedicated risk teams under a group-wide risk management and compliance framework. 
will do this while limiting disruption to the Telstra Group's businesses, including its arrangements with MBN. This heightened standalone focus is expected to deliver value to Telstra shareholders over time and greater flexibility and optionality to realise value from the Telstra Group's fixed infrastructure assets over time and potential to take advantage of opportunities that may arise to create value for Telstra shareholders. The disadvantages of the scheme, overall, we do not think there are any material disadvantages from what is being proposed. But as explained in the scheme booklet, there are a few costs and risks associated with the proposal. Those costs are the one-off costs to the Telstra Group that are expected to arise if the scheme is implemented. Those costs, excluding stamp duty, are not considered to be material to the Telstra Group. The overall one-off costs associated with the scheme, most of which have already been incurred or will be incurred regardless of whether the scheme is implemented, are expected to be $126 million, excluding stamp duty, and comprise incremental IT systems and process costs, advisor fees, the cost of the independent expert, and costs associated with the scheme meeting, and ongoing additional costs for the Telstra Group that might not otherwise arise. They will mainly be incremental costs in connection with the administration of the new corporate structure and in aggregate are not uh, material to the Telstra Group. So I wanted to give everyone a flavour of uh, the question and answer session at the AGM. Um, it, was, it was interesting. Um, quite a few of some of the traditional questions from often retail investors who've had personal issues with their Telstra services and just want to vent about it in front of the board. But there are a couple of very interesting questions, and one particularly I wanted to highlight, which is regarding the fact that historically over the past decade, Telstra has been a declining company in terms of its uh, profitability. And I thought that the an answer that John Mullen gave to this question was really revealing and um, illustrative of the challenges that Telstra has had. Let's have a listen to it. Thanks for this opportunity. This is the first time I'm attending this um, shareholders meeting, even though I've been the shareholder since the beginning of the Telstra has been there. Yeah, I've been a silent shareholder until now, so now I'm looking at actually looking at the share, my shareholdings. What I can see here is like Telstra has been going, their total income has been gone from um, 29 billion to 22 billion in five years and the profit has halved from 3.6 billion to 1.8 billion in five years. So what kind of things can we expect in five years from now to Telstra? Because I can see like Vicky has given the next year it's going to be something like 23 billion revenue, but I don't know what would be the net profit out of that and then what would be the outlook for the next five years. Can we expect any growth, not the negative growth we have seen in the last five years? Yes, uh, thank you very much. It's a really uh, good and important question. So the, the lots of compete, uh, uh, competing uh, issues, but the, by far the biggest issue that reduced Telstra's profitability was the effective nationalization of half of our business by the government to create the MBN. Uh, the MBN, I think, recently declared a $4.4 billion EBITDA profit. I mean, all of that has come out of the industry. And Telstra, obviously, being the largest player, suffered the worst. Uh, we lost over, over $3.5 billion of uh, net profit uh, with the creation of the, of the MBN. That's the single biggest reason. Uh, one of the challenges that Telstra had was, uh, unlike in some other countries where it was sort of done overnight and shareholders knew from one day to the next, in New Zealand and some other areas, um, what the new company would look like after it had been cut in half. 
in Australia, it was eked out over a number of years. So uh, every year when management started the year, uh, they had a headwind of hundreds of millions of dollars of profitability that was going to be transferred to, to the NBN. The good news is, I think um, both Vicky and I said, that is over. This, we have now returned to growth uh, with all of that NBN impact finally behind us. Uh, and uh, now our uh, outlook that we, we published for the year um, is for our earnings and revenue to grow this year. So, uh, and we're very confident. One of the reasons why the board was willing to increase the dividend was that we are very confident of that trajectory. We're very confident of the capabilities of management now to take Telstra to a whole new era where we go back to growth again. I hope that helps. Well, moving on, um, still on Telstra, and, and, and since at the uh, AGM, Telstra was very focused on its immediate and, and midterm future, I thought we'd stick to a little bit of a theme here and, and talk about uh, some of the things they've had to say um, in a submission to the ACCC regarding the Telstra TPGs uh, tie-up um, in regional Australia, and, and particularly how they see the technology landscape panning out over the next few years. To tell us all about it, I am joined by Simon Ducks, the Chief Editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Simon. Hi there, Graham. So what did, what did Telstra actually have to say in its submission? Yes, it was an interesting one. It was actually a, uh, a letter, a request for more information uh, from the ACCC, and uh, Telstra dutifully covered off a wide range of topics, and uh, there were some absolute gems uh, within this letter. It was quite heavily redacted as well. Uh, to the point where uh, Telstra was talking about the potential of Leosats impacting their business and uh, the actual adjective that they used to describe by how much was redacted, which was quite fun. So insert your own uh, word there, cosmic impact or no impact, whichever way it goes. But they did say some really interesting things about Leosats and uh, they suggested that they could be used to end ADSL and even copper-based services in Australia's regions and uh, the satellite constellations themselves could also enable near 100% outdoor mobile coverage in a, across Australian territories. And this is important because if you remember that uh, Telstra has uh, satellite uh, impacts right across the board, they've got the major deal they've done with Viasat, uh, rolling out uh, Viasat's ground station network for Viasat 3 when it goes up. Uh, they've also uh, built out the ground stations for Leosat Player OneWeb, uh, I, I know they're also using SpaceX uh, in some applications as well for customers. And uh, they've signed an MOU with another space to mobile company, AST Mobile. Uh, so, you know, they're really looking at this quite hard. And they are suggesting that Leosats are going to have quite an impact over the next five to 12 years about how they actually roll out their particular services. And they wanted to point out in this uh, letter to the ACCC that uh, Optus has these uh, opportunities as well. And uh, they did uh, recognise that uh, Optus has also signed uh, AST Space Mobile deal to start trialling some of these technologies too. So uh, if you move on to some of the other stuff that they talked about uh, across uh, uh, various technologies, they pointed out that their uh, growth of their data across their network is 29% per annum. 
they were asked by the ACCC what that might look like in the next five to 12 years. And if you can imagine trying to guess and forecast five to 12 year range, that is a really tough thing to do, as Telstra pointed out. Uh, they did, however, uh, use some of their own modelling by a company called Aether that uh, suggested that uh, Telstra itself would have to build around twice the rate of Optus in these regions to maintain its service levels as its data consumption grows as well, which is quite a big figure. Another thing uh, that they were pointing out, uh, they had some comments on neutral host. They were reasonably cool on that, suggesting it's going to work in some applications, but not necessarily widely across the board. But intriguingly, they mentioned um, new models could emerge uh, that could be around for passive infrastructure sharing. And uh, taking it beyond today's colo, you could be uh, sharing the shelters, the lease area, land, and also the power as well. So, you know, they're looking at a broad range of some of those things. And uh, the final one of interest was uh, talking about fixed wireless. And uh, they did confirm to the ACCC that only a portion of the pooled 3.6 gig spectrum is going to be available for fixed wireless to avoid any service degradation. And uh, the interesting uh, stat that they put for me was the fact that fixed wireless subscribers consume, on average, up to 20 times more spectrum than mobile. And under the Mocken agreement, we know that 40% of the total amount of 3.6 gig is pooled and available for fixed wireless services. And uh, Telstra was also keen to point out the reason that they weren't offering 4G fixed wireless as part of the Mocken agreement it was only going to be available on the 5G standalone, and that's because obviously there would be potential service degradation across the uh, current 4G fixed wireless footprint. So there was a really good uh, inkling of what's uh, Telstra's thinking on some of these technologies and how they're going to impact its networks going forward. Okay, terrific stuff. Now, moving on. Um, of course, the, the, the media has been full of um, reports about the big Optus data breach uh, over the past few weeks. And uh, I can assure you, you uh, patient and tolerant listeners of the Commerce Live podcast, we will not be revisiting that topic this week. But it was interesting that a uh, vulnerability in uh, Fortinet was revealed this week. And it's a, it's a, Fortinet is a, a big supplier of SD-WAN to a lot of the big telcos in Australia. What was interesting was that just as we could characterise Optus from what happened there as a, a bit of a collective PR fail, in this particular instance of Fortinet, again, there was very, very little awareness um, generated from more concern about this. And that, that's, that's of some concern, isn't it, Simon? That's right, Graham. Uh, you know, this uh, particular hack uh, on uh, Fortinet, as you point out, being one of the biggest global suppliers of SD-WAN appliances, had the potential uh, of impacting telcos right across the board. I think a, uh, one of the security companies, Rapid7, uh, did some surveying coming up uh, to show that there were more than a million Fortinet appliances across uh, that they could see just on a very quick survey um, being shown on the uh, internet uh, around the world. So, you know, this is a, a very largely installed appliance base. And of course, Telstra, Optus, TPG, MacTel and Aussie Broadband are all big users of this. So naturally, um, uh, we had a look at what the Australian Cybersecurity Centre was saying about the particular um, uh, vulnerability. Essentially, what it would do, it could allow remote attackers to bypass the authentication and log into the administrative uh, interface. And of course, if you can do that, then you get control. Uh, and that's not brilliant 
when these Fortinet devices are frequently sit at the edge of an organization's networks, and that makes them pretty much high-value targets. So uh, Cybersecurity Center obviously told everyone to review their patch and update status. Uh, it was only picking out, uh, sorry, picking out a uh, particular range of um, uh, the uh, software versions uh, that were actually going to be impacted by this, and that's why it was really keen for everyone to get their update status. But of course, we reached out to all of the telcos to find out what exactly they were uh, doing about this and potentially telling their customers. And I must say, we met a little bit with uh, uh, Stonewall. Um, uh, we got some feedback from Telstra uh, talking about uh, in uh, generally how they actually deal with these sorts of uh, cyber vulnerabilities. Uh, TPG told us that they weren't using the particular software version. Mactel told us it didn't apply to them, and uh, Optus and Aussie Broadband even chose not to comment. And just in the current environment, when uh, a lot of enterprises are a little bit nervous about what's going on, uh, you would just want to see a little bit more communication coming from uh, the telcos. Now, uh, we do appreciate that some of the things around this are particularly sensitive, that you don't want to actually uh, uh, broadcast. But none of this should necessarily be left up to organisations such as the Cyber Security Centre to be leading on the communications. You know, we'd like to see the telcos get on the front foot and actually talk about some of this, A, with their customers, and B, also make sure uh, people like us understand the nature of the risk and the mitigation processes that are occurring. Here, here, Simon. Um, all very, very good points there. Thank you very much for joining us this week on the Comms Day Life podcast. Thanks again, Graham. And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you next time.